Edward Snowden, hero or villain? Well, it's possible to be a bit of both. In June of 2013, Edward Snowden was working a contracted job as a systems administrator for the NSA. In his time there, he allegedly stole 1.5 million classified files from the NSA. He then flew to Hong Kong, where he met with journalists and provided documents which detailed abuses by both the NSA and its partners. These journalists took that information and published story after story, which sent shockwaves through the internet and the world. A few days later, Snowden identified himself as an American whistleblower and caught a flight to Moscow a few weeks later, where he lives to this day. This story has countless layers of complexity. Was he a hero or a traitor? Was Snowden protecting the privacy rights of his fellow citizens? Or did he have ulterior motives behind the curtain? What kind of person was Snowden before the leaks? And what will this end up costing the United States when it's all said and done? This is the story of Edward Snowden, the man behind the biggest information heist in history. From Yahoo Finance, this is The Art of the Exit. I'm Alex Sugg. You were early on the scene with Edward Snowden. So maybe tell me what was going on with you. You were writing uh, about the whole situation. You also uncovered a lot as it was starting to progress. So maybe just tell your story. Yeah, the, the Snowden leaks came at a great time for me professionally and personally in the sense that as a young reporter at Business Insider, I was interested in national security and I was interested in specifically domestic spying. So when Snowden came out, it it really hit directly on my beat. This is Michael B. Kelly, my colleague at Yahoo Finance. He's an expert on the Snowden case and agreed to help tell the story. And so I covered it immediately. And then something interesting happened. The leak started on about on June 5th, 2013. And he identified himself on, on June 9th, uh, Hong Kong time. Then two days later... After he identifies himself, Edward Snowden, American whistleblower, he gives an interview with the South China Morning Post. He also provides documents to that reporter, uh, Lana Lam. And those documents were actually detailed operations against China, as opposed to domestic surveillance activities of of the NSA, which was the big kind of reveal of of the Snowden documents. When he gave that interview saying, I have more documents, I have to go through them all, I did not provide these documents to the journalists before. And the, the actual details of the documents were foreign intelligence operations of the U.S. against China. It, it piqued my interest in a different way. And when I asked uh, an expert, a uh, cyber expert, uh, who had worked with NATO to put together the international rule book called the Talon Manual for Cyber Operations, uh, he said, yeah, what Edward Snowden revealed to the South China Morning Post is just spying. It's just uh, an updated version of espionage that's been going on forever, but now the technology is much better. At that point, my mind kind of went on parallel tracks where it was obvious that the early Snowden leaks had exposed something that was important for American society and started a a privacy discussion that continues to this day. 
there was also this aspect of, well, why is he also leaking this information that doesn't really have that same uh, public interest in mind? And it really is only helpful to the people he's leaking it about, namely uh, the Chinese government. Mm. And even uh, Glenn Greenwald, who is the, the main and most aggressive journalist on the Snowden case and, and who one of the, the three journalists that Snowden really worked with and provided documents to, he was asked by a reporter at the time and he said, yeah, basically paraphrasing that, that if he had to guess, it would be that Snowden was trying to ingratiate himself to uh, the people of Hong Kong and the authorities. Mm. And, and that in itself uh, is a recognition that, that Snowden was no longer acting out of altruism. He was, that, that was a, a very um, selfish act in the sense that he was trying to, to save himself from being caught by authorities or handed over to the gotcha. U.S. And so that, that added a, an extra element to the whole story. So was everybody else seeing this divergence? Like you said, these two parallel tracks, trains of thought almost, of like he's a good guy on one side and a bad guy on the other side. Or was or is that unique to something you noticed then that maybe others hadn't? There weren't that many people who noticed it. Um, if you speak to former government officials, uh, officials at the at the time, they certainly noticed it. They knew the difference between those two pieces of information. William Binney, who was a mathematician at the NSA for 30 years, he ended up quitting right after 9-11 because he believed that there were abuses being committed. He actually came out after Snowden um, leaked that information to the South China Post and said, well, he's transitioning from a whistleblower to a traitor, mm. which is uh, is a pretty wild statement. And, and a couple years later, I actually asked uh, Bill Binney, about that statement, and he said, uh, when pressed, he said that he stood by that statement. Wow. And Benny's kind of a hero to Snowden, so that's a fascinating aspect. But for the most part, in 2013, those leaks, the initial ones really just rocked everyone, and they kept coming. There was a, there was a really good story developing, which was Edward Snowden, the whistleblower, the, the champion of privacy and everyone's freedoms, that uh, that was really the dominant story. And so this subtext that there was this other element to it didn't really catch on at the time. That subtext Michael is referring to has become the most interesting part of the story to me. When looking at motives, it always just comes down to the person. Who was Edward Snowden before he began handing over those documents? Was he a brave patriot, willing to put his whole life on the line to create more transparency in the U.S.? Or is there something else behind these actions? The only way to get any clear direction is to look at Snowden's life before the leaks. Why don't you tell me what you know about him? What made Edward Snowden the way he is? Yeah, that that's a really fascinating part of the story. And it, it's a different part of the story. But it's, a, it's part of the story that becomes important when evaluating intent. Uh, why does anyone do anything? Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we are the end of all the actions that we've taken before now, and, and we are created by the context in which we, we grew up. Edward Snowden, uh, born in uh, 1983, so depending on where you put the cutoff of millennial, he's right there. He's, he's one of the original digital natives. He liked computers. 
Uh, he was very good at it. He, he took to it very well. Uh, he grew up in uh, North Carolina for a time, lived not far from Fort Meade, uh, where the NSA is based. He grew up in a, a government family. His mother works for the courts. His father worked in the, the Coast Guard. He had a tough teen years. He dropped out of high school when he was about 15, and he says it was because he got mono and just didn't go back. His parents got divorced when he was 17, going on 18. And he was basically, at, at that point on, socializing mostly on the internet, on mm. these Ars Technica forums. So the first time he logged on was December of 2001. Over the next 10 plus years, he is on and off, but on those forums. His last post is right before he allegedly started stealing documents. You learn a lot about his personality. He calls himself an indoor cat now when he lives in Moscow because he's just on his computer all the time. Gotcha. Okay. You said one thing that I want to kind of dig at. When he dropped out of high school because he claimed to have mono. You say that saying, like we, a lot of people get mono and it doesn't take them out of high school necessarily. What do you think was the real story there? Like what what caused that, you think? It, it's impossible to say based on what we're going on in terms of these art, these online artifacts of, of his posts online. He rails against institutional schooling. Hmm. He doesn't like the system. He never liked the system, whatever system he's in. And the first time we see that is through this school system. So, yeah, it's true that, uh, you know, almost everyone knows people who had mono in high school mm. and those people didn't drop out. So it, it, it suggests that there was a larger context there. And it becomes interesting for Edward Snowden's life because a lot of times medical reasons become important mm. in different stages. So he joined the special forces uh, training program. And this is right around uh, when the Iraq war is really heating up. And he did. He he basically washed out, but mm. um, he says that uh, he broke both of his legs in a training accident. So mm. there's another medical reason for him to uh, leave this institution, this different institution. And people haven't. It hasn't. His medical records haven't been published because that's a privacy thing. But the official reason for him leaving was uh, an administrative discharge. It wasn't a medical discharge. Mm. Uh, and and if you talk to former officials, that's kind of a big difference. Right. Um, so and and even even if he would have broken his legs, if he wanted to stay in the program, he could have. Just like if you get mono uh, in high school and you want to stay in high school, there are, there are ways that they can accommodate, uh, right. even in the military. Right. Um, and famous, most famously, when he left the NSA in Hawaii to go to Hong Kong with all these documents, he told his boss that. Uh, he had to go to a doctor uh, because he had epilepsy. Hmm. So there's another medical reason to uh, leave an institution. Hmm. But that was actually just his cover story so that he, he could get a few days' time, uh, lead time to go to Hong Kong. Yeah, this is a uh, something that's repeated itself, a pattern in, in his story. We spoke a little beforehand, and you said something interesting that I, I wanted to kind of talk about too because clearly he was in he was online, like you said, an indoor cat even back then. But he also had interests in gaming, right? Wasn't that part like he, he was an arcade visitor? Yeah, he, was, uh, he talks about the arcade in Maryland. He was really big into Tekken. Mm -hmm. uh, on one of the, the internet pages that he was on, he put his occupation as Tekken. Hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, he, you know, he's on all these different threads. Um, but over the years, 
Uh, he's consistently on video game threads, mm. uh, whether it's um, arcade. Uh, talks a lot about tech, and he talks about Dance Dance Revolution, which mm. is an, another arcade game. But he's also on console games about Metal Gear Solid Two and. Um, he's definitely um, a gamer of the times. Right. His presence online, was that generally positive? Was it just talking to friends, talking about gaming? Were there other sides to the story of uh, other than just being a teenager, young young kid talking to your buddies about video games online? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question, um, particularly in this day and age when uh, you have people, uh, celebrities, where they're, what they've said in public before is basically being mined um, and brought back up and used against them in certain ways. Um, and with Snowden, yeah, there's there's an element of he's a young guy um, and there's obviously a, a bit of anger in him. And so he's just kind of throwing words around and um, as a lot of young men do. But he also stands out within this community of mostly men as being pretty aggressive. You know, it's up to each individual person to chalk it up either as uh, young guys, just boys will be boys kind of thing. But that kind of response uh, doesn't resonate as much as it it did even a few years ago. Mm. So there are some um, fascinating examples of him saying that uh, him being in a discussion and and responding to someone's argument as faggotry. Mm. And uh, another user, user will push back and say, you know, Faggotry is hate speech. You, you should. This is a pointless uh, conversation about X Men. You don't need to be uh, bringing in uh, these terms. And, and Snowden would just double down and saying, "Oh, I, I uh, quote, I had no idea ours had such a thriving population of militant homosexuals." Mm. Uh, so really um, playing that up. And you know, at the time, he's 23 years old. So it makes me think. Um, that when I was 23 years old, was I speaking like that? No, um, I wasn't online like that either. But it makes it interesting that he kind of has this history uh, himself of, um, you know, words he used that we can evaluate within the context of the time. Maybe walk me through what's going on with him while he's in his contract, the one where he's actually beginning to gather information maybe right before he actually starts stealing it or when he says he starts stealing. At one point he said uh, when I think it was to NBC, he said that, you know, when he washed out of uh, the Army Special Forces program, he had to find another way to serve. He got a job uh, at a facility on the campus of University of Maryland uh, as a security guard. And it was actually a, it's a, a kind of a language school. And so it's technically a DOD facility. And he's basically an NSA security guard, uh, working the night shift for a few months. And he had to go through the security clearance process. And then he worked as, as the security guard for, for five months or so. Hmm. And when he left that job, uh, he took with him a very valuable thing, which is a security clearance. And so mm-hmm. once he had a security clearance, he's he's basically known to the system. And so he applied uh, uh, reportedly at a job fair. He re- he applied uh, to the CIA and got picked up despite not having traditional schooling. Right. I was going to say he dropped out of high school. Dropped like, out of high school. It's, it's pretty wild that he was able to, to land 
such a great job with, it, you know. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it depends who you ask. Some former officials say that he had to have some folk pull, like ask his grandfather, who was a, a rear admiral who had worked on joint task force with CIA and FBI and, and was connected. Uh, or uh, Mike Morrell, the former uh, acting director of the CIA, in his book says that uh, post 9-11, the CIA needed telecommunications analysts. Mm. They needed people. And uh, it's clear that Snowden definitely knew computers and definitely knew this stuff. So uh, wherever you fall on that spectrum, um, he got hired by the CIA. Basically, throughout his time at the CIA, we know from interviews with his superiors uh, that were publishing a, a declassified assessment in, in December 2016. He was basically clashing with superiors uh, from, from the beginning of this training program. He thought that uh, his he knew better than uh, his superiors in certain ways, and he, he had this uh, habit of uh, CCing people much higher on the food chain. Okay. Um, and this is another trend of Edward Snowden, like the medical thing. He, he did this several times in his time in the CIA and the NSA. Where, um, so he's bringing in the boss's boss's boss kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, at one okay. point he, in you know, according to this assessment, he cc'd someone who was the head of the CIA directorate overseeing what he was doing, and and it put that per that person was was one of a couple dozen highest CIA officials, and he was a trainee, but he thought that that the situation wasn't being handled well, so he was going to cc someone who he thought could handle it. A uh, memo written uh, in September of 2008, uh, where Snowden's CIA superior described him as an energetic officer with a plethora of experience on Microsoft operating systems will also quote often does not positively respond to advice from senior officers does not recognize the chain of command often demonstrates a lack of maturity and does not appear to be embracing the CIA culture Snowden's life has clear patterns he struggled within systems and pushed back against authority as Michael mentioned, Snowden's antagonistic online personality, along with his struggles with superiors at work, give a snapshot into what he was like. Now, is that proof that he is a villain without a heart? No. But it is proof that he could be a very difficult man to be around, and that he had problems living within a system that he didn't control. After the break, we go through the details of how Snowden was stealing information, and what this case ended up costing the United States. Snowden is said to have stolen around 1.5 million classified files from the NSA before fleeing to Hong Kong. I asked Michael, how exactly was he able to do it without being noticed? I want to know how Snowden was doing this. Like, I, I kind of picture he's headed to the office, he's like, has pockets full of hard drives, and he's just like plugging them into computers left and right and just stealing stuff. I know that's silly and probably un, an unrealistic idea of what was going on. Can you tell me how practically he was taking these these files and these documents? Yeah, so it definitely wasn't as uh, presented in the Oliver Stone film where he kind of just had uh, one thumb drive and he stuck it in for a few minutes and then put it in a Rubik's Cube and walked out. Uh -huh. um, this was uh, pretty systematic. The way that it was described to me uh, by people with knowledge of the matter was that he was clever. It mm. wasn't, it, you know, 
people use the word hack, but he really used a few workarounds and he was smart about what workarounds he had and the access that he had for him to devise a system that worked for him. And the best we know about this is from the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. They released a report in, in late 2016, basically a review of the disclosures. They say here that he used several methods to gather the information. As they do with the tone of this document, they add, uh, quote, none of which required advanced computer skills. Hmm. And I think that's kind of an un- unnecessary jab. I think this was a pretty smart. People who are experts said that this was clever. So, um, sure, it didn't require full state-level style hacking, as we would think of it, but this was pretty clever. So, um, what he did was, part of his job was to collect files and move them. And so, one of the basic things he do was a just a scraping tool. That allowed him to collect a bunch of files, which was he was able to do through his system administrator privileges and start pulling files. And that is an easy way to do it because it's passive uh, collecting of those things and, and lists. The other thing that he was able to use his system administrator privileges for is access to personal network drives, apparently. So he could copy what was on colleagues' drives because that was mm. part of his job. And there are People who admitted to providing him with a password uh, in the course of his duties, uh, he could uh, use that password, but he could also use them for nefarious purposes uh, to get more data and copy anything of interest. One fascinating anecdote in here is uh, at some point in 2012, a fellow system administrator noticed that his personal drive used significantly larger amount of memory than most other employees and asked him what he was doing. Uh, Stone responded that he was downloading system patches for NSA Network, a task that was consistent with his job responsibilities, and then the next line is redacted. So he was able to, to kind of use his day-to-day job to mask the fact that he was actually stealing these, moonlighting and stealing these files. Right, so just to clarify that last point, someone saw him with a, a much fuller drive than normal and asked him about it, and he had a quick cover-up, yeah. essentially. yeah. Yeah, he was able to to brush it off, and and really the the most interesting thing in this report uh, that it explains is they allege, and this is this is mostly from an NSA security official, official which is what makes this document so interesting. As a system administrator, uh, he did a lot of stuff in the back end, and he devised a system where he was actually had access uh, to another machine, he would basically go return to his old desk after hours, allegedly, um, to do some of this uh, downloading. It was about a 20-minute drive away. Um, And so he's driving back and forth at night to his old desk. And and what they allege in this document is that he had – his new job uh, didn't require him to visit that old building. So this was another thing that he said, well, I can still get into the old building and that's the machine I need to pull this stuff out. So he was just using that. The long and short of it is is that he took advantage of his uh, systems systems administrator access. He took uh, advantage of whatever access he got uh, when he moved over to Booz Allen. And he went at Booz Allen. He used his old thin-on-thick machine um, took advantage of this loophole uh, that allowed him to go back uh, at night and secretly steal these documents. And he, you know, according to uh, the Hipsy report, uh, he removed 
an estimated 1.5 million documents from the secure systems. You, you said to me when we were first discussing the story, this could be considered the most notorious intelligence heist of all time, and especially the fact that he essentially has gotten away scot-free for the most part. Um, but I know that there's a financial implication. I know that there are many. Will you talk about those as well? Maybe what this has cost the United States, estimated? What what are the costs involved in what happened with Edward Snowden? Yeah, there, there's a, there are a few different costs in terms of there's the cost of the resources spent by the NSA and the FBI in terms of trying to track them down and, and uh, work this case. The NSA, we know uh, from the black budget that Snowden leaked and was published in the Washington Post, that their budget is about $10 billion a year, and they uh, were moving resources around to do that. So there's there's the cost of, of that. There was the cost of reputational damage uh, to U.S. companies after this because it was basically people started thinking that the U.S. government could tap into your Facebook. That was like the this, this simple person, the simple explanation that people would understand if they weren't really following the news, but they'd heard about it. Mm. Um, they thought that the U.S. government could get into all these companies, which was not the case. It was nowhere close. But these, these big tech companies do have a law enforcement relationship um, so they took reputational damage. And there was a great paper in February of 2017. It was updated by Microsoft Research Office. And they kind of looked at all the existing estimates of, of how much uh, money was lost. And, and they said that the, the expected losses to the U.S. cloud industry were at least $18 billion. That's one kind of quantitative figure on it. This paper makes a really fascinating point in that for these individual companies, they had to spend money to harden encryption. They had to win the trust back of their customers. And so they spent some money kind of investing to create more solid structures. And that's arguably a good thing. The Apple leading the way in terms of encrypted phones. But it was forced, Edward Snowden forced the hand. And then current day and looking now, there's the fascinating aspect of Huawei. Huawei being a, a Chinese telecom company that uh, the U.S. alleges is very close to the Chinese government. And they're the, lead, the world's leading telecom equipment provider. And so the worry is, is that they could access other countries' systems simply by having backdoors in their telecom equipment. The, the U.S. is, is uh, fighting a very high-stakes diplomatic kind of battle right now, banning Huawei from the U.S. and uh, trying to lobby allied governments did not use this. Uh, and one of Huawei's defenses against U.S. accusations is, oh, well, just look at what Edward Snowden uh, showed us. The U.S. government is, is, is the one doing this. We're not doing this. So he's kind of used as a, a shield uh, to deflect this kind of criticism, which is fascinating. You can't really quantify that, but uh, it, it does have an effect on commerce uh, today, which is kind of a, one of the interesting long-tail effects uh, of, of Snowden. Last question, and this is your opinion that I'm asking. Is Edward Snowden a hero or a villain? So sometimes I think about a story that I wrote um, covering this in the summer of 2013 and the headline uh, is uh, Edward Snowden is both a patriot and a traitor. And uh, I think that that story has aged pretty well. 
the basic thesis of it was that he's a patriot for exposing, um, providing evidence of post-9-11 domestic surveillance activity. That moved the ball forward in terms of the conversation of, of post-9-11 abuses. And there's that transparency argument that's that's really, uh, there's a commendable part of of that um, and the reforms that have come out after that. And then there's this other shoe about all the rest of the stuff. And I'm, I'm really ambivalent because I think that both of those things can be true. I think he's a very complicated figure. And I'm interested in the, you know, that's why I spent time in looking into the person because he was obviously very disgruntled again and again uh, in his life. And there was a, a certain anger in his actions and it seems from just an observational point of view that he stole information uh, unrelated to civil liberties or the things that would uh, make him a whistleblower. And so that he kind of goes beyond that. And the, the, the question becomes how far beyond did he go? Uh, and that's an interesting question and I don't think it's been answered yet. So we could do one of these episodes just on the uh, the colorful words used by the true hoo-ha. Uh, Snowden's alias on the Ars Technica forums uh, between the years uh, 2001 and 2012. Uh, and one of my favorites um, is from uh, June 12th, 2008. So this would be right before Edward Snowden turned 25. Uh, and he's working for the CIA at the time. And uh, he writes his own, he starts a, a forum post and it's titled, okay, okay, this is getting real. I had a vision. And uh, so the post reads, I woke up this morning with a new name. I had a vision, a dream vision, a vision righteous and true. Before me, I saw gamers, gamers shrouded in the glory of their true names. Step forth and assume your name in the Pantheon. It's always been there, your avatar's true name. It slips through your subconscious, reveals itself under your posts, and flashed visibly in that moment of unrestrained spite. In the indulgent tea bag, you felt it, known it, recognized it, now realize it. I woke up this morning with a new name. That name is Wolf King, Wolf King Awesome Fox. And th this is, it's just a, a really uh, fun uh, and interesting post that captures a lot of Edward Snowden's uh, personality. Uh, and even if you break down the etymo etymology of, of this name, Wolf King Awesome Fox, um, it, it has this kind of uh, voraciousness to it. Um, it has this uh, kind of uh, illusions of grandeur to it, and that's exactly who his personality was online. So, uh, you know, people say that Edward Snowden is, is re related to the true hoo-ha. That would be his alias. But really, uh, Edward Snowden's true alias is Wolf King Awesome Fox. How far beyond did Snowden go? Only time will tell exactly. But one thing is certain. Edward Snowden committed the most notorious intelligence heist in history, and he got away unscathed. 
He's living in Moscow now and will be for the foreseeable future. As he said himself, he's an indoor cat, so I wouldn't expect to see him outside anytime soon. The Art of the Exit is produced by Yahoo Finance at our studios in New York City. This episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Alex Sugg. Thank you to Michael B. Kelly for your time and walking us through all the details of the Snowden story. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review there and share the story with your friends. We'll be back soon with another new episode. So until then, thank you for listening to The Art of the Exit. Exit.